Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. In the 1970s and 80s, a monster hunted the Connecticut River Valley. Seven bodies found, one survivor, and no suspects. I'm Jane Borowski, host of Invisible Tears. I was seven months pregnant and stabbed 27 times, and I survived. My story didn't end that frightful night. This attack on me physically and mentally lingered for years. I'm Amanda Bedard, and I'm Jane's life coach and co-host of Invisible Tears. Jane is ready to share her story, and not just about her attack, but her healing process afterwards. As a platform for truth and healing, we are on a mission to help others that suffer from PTSD and help bring awareness to mental health issues. To hear my story and others, you can find Invisible Tears wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. What interferes with your happiness? What are some things standing in the way of being the best version of you? For a lot of people, life, your past, and sometimes your current situation can cause roadblocks in your life. Mental health is incredibly important, and so many, including myself, can benefit from talking to a professional and working to dismantle those roadblocks. That's why I'm excited to talk to you guys about BetterHelp. BetterHelp knows no two people are the same and will help to assess your personal needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. These incredibly convenient appointments are in a safe and completely private online environment, and you can start chatting with your new therapist in under 24 hours. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling. You can message with your counselor at any time and get a timely response, plus schedule weekly video or phone sessions, which means no driving to an office, no waiting rooms, and no awkward small talk. Just meaningful sessions with experts who specialize in things like depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, trauma, family conflict, LGBTQ matters, grief, and so much more. There is truly someone there for everyone. And BetterHelp is committed to finding your perfect match. Which means if you and your counselor don't mesh for whatever reason, they make it easy and free to seek someone new if needed. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. 
And with financial aid available and access worldwide, they truly make it easy for anyone to seek the help they need. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash morning cup. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police the arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a... Weird homicide. Scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird morning. Cup of murder. Sometimes the justice system fails and dangerous people get to walk among the innocent. On April 5th, 1954, a man was born who, if you believe his mother, was evil from birth. A man who, despite wanting to stay behind bars, was released and able to kill again, again, and again. So if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. David Edward Most was born on April 5th, 1954 in Connellsville, Pennsylvania to George, who left when David was seven, and Eva Most. Motherhood for Eva, despite her best efforts, was not something that came easily. Diagnosed psychotic, Eva placed David in a mental institution at the age of just nine, claiming he set fire to his younger brother's bed, attempted to drown the young boy. Despite the social workers describing her as disturbed, psychotic, needy, and narcissistic, David remained in the institution. He, like many of the children inside, were not considered mentally ill, but simply unwanted or unable to be taken care of by their parents. The staff didn't seem to have the same issues with David that Eva did. When pressed about the specific reason she sent him away, she finally broke down and said she, quote, just didn't want him at home. Despite the issues officials had with her reasons, despite the issues officials had with her reasons, David did exhibit signs of violence, once beating a squirrel to death with a baseball bat in front of his brother, quote, just for fun. That same brother would later recall that David was molested at an early age, which may account for some of his outbursts. After being released from the institution, and despite her promises that he could move back home with her and his new stepfather, David was sent to live in a children's home where, at just 13 years old, he was assaulted by a fellow male resident. David's dark tendencies started to take on a more sexual tone, and he wrote details in his diary about gaining the friendship of young boys and how often he gave in to the urge to cut and strangle them. The first boy he ever hurt was a friend referred to as Eddie. He wrote in detail how he choked the young boy in 1969. While they were playing, how he told him he was sorry, but felt that the moment was a turning point in his life. He did the same to a boy named Daniel when he was 15 years old, but this time used a rope while the pair watched television and explained how difficult it was to stop like it was someone else trying to kill Daniel, someone controlling his movements. In 1970, David was sent back to Chicago State Hospital, where shortly after, he ran away and was never returned to the facility. As David grew into adulthood, he began working construction with his uncle in Georgia, where, despite his skilled work, he was fired after crashing the company car. After this setback, he tried to return home to his mother, who not only told him she didn't want him, but threatened him with a knife. Instead, she drove him to a recruiter, and at 18, he enlisted in the army and was sent off to serve as a cook in Frankfurt, Germany. In 1974, while still stationed in Germany, David, who by now was known as Crazy Dave to the neighborhood kids, committed his first murder. According to his story, one day he woke to find 13-year-old James McClister, the child of American expatriates whom he had befriended, sleeping on top of him and both were naked. 
This episode apparently upset him so much that a month later, David offered the boy a moped ride, took him towards a nearby forest, pulled out a knife and forced him deeper into the wooded area where he would tie him to a tree and beat him with his own fists and a board. When he was done, he covered the boy's body with leaves and simply left. He later said that he promised himself seven months before the incident that if Jimmy grew his hair out, he was going to kill him. When Jimmy's body was uncovered a month later, he had long locks of hair. When David was brought to trial for Jimmy's murder, his lawyers argued that the death was simply an accident, that the boy had died after some teens threw a screwdriver into the spokes of the moped and they crashed, that David simply, in a panic, hid his body. Because there were no witnesses to give a different story, David Moss was convicted of manslaughter and larceny and sentenced to four years in prison at Fort Leavenworth. David sat happily in prison, even requesting that they not parole him and attempted to outright refuse any parole consideration. He was fearful that, if released, he would hurt someone again. Despite his wishes, he was released on May 10, 1977, and put on a plane back to O'Hare International Airport. Back in Chicago, less than two years later, David stabbed a friend while he was sleeping and was tried for attempted murder. If this was David's way of reaching out for help, it didn't work, and yet again, he was free to look for another victim. In August of 1981, David decided that his homosexual acts were the root of all of his evil, and went looking for the teenage boy who molested him in the group home all those years ago. But when he got to the boy's house, he found that he was in jail. Still on the lookout, he found another boy walking nearby and decided to kill him instead. David lured Donald Jones into his car, drove him to a quarry in Elgin, Illinois, and stabbed him in the stomach. As he took his last breath, Donald told David, I'm only 15 years old, please don't kill me. He then took his body to the water and drowned him. After Donald's murder, David fled Chicago and headed to Texas, where he stabbed another teen in a hotel room and was sentenced to five years for, quote, causing bodily injury to a child. While he sat behind bars in Texas, he wrote about his killings in his diary and turned it over to investigators in 1983. They, upon reading it, worked to have him extradited back to Illinois to stand trial for Donald's murder. Originally deemed unfit to stand trial, David sat in a hospital psych ward for 10 years, awaiting the murder trial that finally came in 1994. He pleaded guilty and was sentenced to 35 years in prison. Unfortunately, he received a 12-year credit for the time he was held and good behavior. So, in 1999, after serving only 17 years, the dangerous man was released yet again, despite attorneys calling him the most dangerous inmate a prison will ever house. This time, he had nowhere to live, having been denied entry into a halfway home and remained homeless for a few years before moving to Hammond in 2003 after assaulting an acquaintance with a metal pipe in 2001. Around the time that David arrived in Hammond, three young boys were reported missing by their families. 13-year-old Michael Dennis, 16-year-old James Regagny, and 19-year-old Nicholas James. He was arrested on December 9, 2003 for the strangling death of James Regagny, and while checking his Hammond home, police found the remains of all three boys wrapped in plastic and encased in concrete. He was charged with all three murders and, in November of 2005, pleaded guilty. For one final time, David Mouse was sentenced for his crimes. 
this time to three consecutive life terms without the possibility of parole. On January 20th, 2006, David was found hanging in his jail cell at the age of 51. In his cell was a suicide note that confessed to the five murders and apologized to each of the families. The many trials and releases of David Moss helped lead Indiana public officials to pursue a state amendment requiring a violent offender's registry for convicted murderers, a registry that, if available, may have kept David behind bars. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear a terrible thing happened on April 6th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.